This episode of Historium is sponsored by Blueberry. Blueberry is the gold standard in podcast hosting, and that's why we use it to host all of our podcasts here on the Orbital Jigsaw Network. If you would like to get started making your own podcast and are looking for a way to host it, or you're using another podcast hosting platform and simply want to switch, you can get one month free podcast hosting through Blueberry if you go to orbitaljigsaw.com history. When I come across stories, they usually fall into these categories, either full episodes, which I'll eventually make for the main feed, or bonus episodes, which tend to be a bit shorter and punchier and usually end up in the bonus episode feed. Remember, five bucks a month on Patreon gets you access to all of those. But occasionally, I'll come across a story that's incredible, but too short to even be a bonus episode. It's essentially set up punchline. So this episode will be a bunch of stories like that. 15 quick hits that I think you'll enjoy. Welcome to Historium, episode 66, Microstorium. During the height of the Roman Republic, senators, merchants, and consuls were all eager to extract resources from their far-flung territories. One of the largest of these efforts was a gold mining operation in northwestern Spain, Tunnel networks extended for well over 100 square miles and were manned by over 40,000 Roman slaves. The slaves worked underground for months at a time, never once seeing the sunlight. Fumes from the smelting furnaces blistered their skin and bleached it a ghostly white. They died by the hundreds, and the other slave miners would be too exhausted to remove the corpses. Eventually, enormous chimneys were carved out of the earth to allow some of the fumes from the smelting furnaces to escape. A black cloud of smog hung over the entire area. Miners above ground would have to take cover when thousands upon thousands of migrating birds died in the fumes and fell to the earth. All of this suffering brought thousands upon thousands of pounds of gold to Rome every year. After stripping the gold deposits dry and having provided millions of pounds of gold for Rome, the mines were abandoned. Mining on this scale would not occur for another 1,700 years during the height of the Industrial Revolution. Two, In 1958, junior high school student Bob Heft created a hypothetical United States flag for a history project. Believing that the territories of Alaska and Hawaii would soon be admitted into the Union as new states, he made a flag with 50 stars using his mother's sewing machine. When he presented his project, his teacher called him overly ambitious and gave him a B-. Two years later, Alaska and Hawaii had become states, and President Eisenhower held an open contest for a new flag. Out of over 1,400 submissions, Bob Heff's 50-star flag design was chosen and that's the current American flag you see today. Bob Heft returned to his old middle school teacher, who promptly changed his grade to an A+. 3. During the filming of The Sound of Music, the city of Salzburg, Austria, refused to allow Nazi flags to be hung off buildings during filming. Director Robert Wise went to the city council and threatened to instead use real newsreel footage of the city enthusiastically greeting Hitler during the war. The city council quickly allowed the filming to resume with the replica flags. 
4. The large, tiered earthen pyramid could be seen from miles away. Larger than the Great Pyramid of Giza, the mound loomed over the entire city of Cahokia. A sprawling network of canals weaved through fields of maize and neighborhoods of hundreds of thatched roof houses. Thousands of people bustled through the streets, fishermen with their nets, soldiers heading to training, groups of mothers corralling large herds of children. Smoke funneled into the sky from cooking stoves in all directions. The nearby river system, where the Mississippi, Illinois, and Missouri rivers met, created a prosperous port. Traders in canoes and rafts coming from the north brought elk and buffalo meat. Merchants from the south sold seashells from the Gulf and shark teeth from the Chesapeake. Traders from across North America brought their wares through the teeming and vibrant Cahokia, all under the watchful eye of the enormous Earth Pyramid. The area is now Collinsville, Illinois, which has a population of 25,000 and is home to both the Horseradish Festival and the largest ketchup bottle in the world. Five. During the American Revolution, British officers declared that any African slave who took up arms against their colonist masters could gain their freedom. One such slave was a man named Billy. He escaped his master's manor and joined up with the British Navy. However, he was recaptured by American forces when the British ship he was on surrendered. On April 2, 1781, Billy was indicted by the Prince William County Court for committing treason against the state of Virginia. But two jury members thought the charge was absurd. How could an enslaved man commit treason against a country to which he owed no allegiance to? The two jurors wrote an open letter to Virginia's governor, Thomas Jefferson, who apparently agreed with their logic. He pardoned Billy the next month. There are no records beyond that. Whether Billy was returned to his former master or granted his freedom is unknown. Six. Monowai, Nebraska is the only incorporated village in the United States with a population of one. That's right, one. The sole resident, Elsie Eiler, is the mayor as well as librarian and bartender. Each and every year, she legally has to pay taxes to herself. Seven. At the tail end of the Second World War, Hitler began taking gambles on wonder weapon technologies in hopes of changing the tide of the war. One such wonder weapon was the V-2 rocket, the first ever artificial object to leave Earth's atmosphere. The V-2 rocket had a range of 200 miles, traveled at supersonic speeds, and most importantly, the Allies had no way of defending against it. Nazi production of the V-2 rocket ramped up using slave labor from concentration camps. The Jewish slaves worked with almost no food and no sleep. Every day, dozens of laborers died on the assembly line, only to be replaced by another slave in minutes. Despite these horrific conditions, the Jewish prisoners cleverly sabotaged small portions of the production process. A missing screw here, a bent tail fin there. The German overseers deployed spies to weed out the saboteurs, but despite daily executions, subversion continued. Thanks to their heroic resistance, Hitler's wonder weapon was largely a failure. Out of the 10,800 V-2 rockets that were deployed, 
more than half blew up or missed their targets, in part due to sabotage from Jewish slave laborers. Eight. The citizens of Kokura, Japan were terrified when they heard the accounts. Most of Hiroshima had been destroyed. Survivors who had fled the scene reported one bomber dropping a single bomb that leveled the entirety of downtown Hiroshima. On August 9, 1945, six American B-52 bombers flew over Kokura, Japan and prepared to drop a second atomic bomb, but they found that the dark cloud cover obscured too much of the target area. Instead, they rerouted to Nagasaki. When it was later revealed that the cloud cover had saved Kokura, it made sense to the Japanese populace, similar to the Divine Wind Typhoon, which had saved mainland Japan from Mongol invasion in 1281. But the divine nature of the defense had been aided by human hands. The morning of the planned bombing was only partially foggy, but steelworkers at the Yamada Steelworks plant scrapped their usual workday and spent all day burning barrels of coal tar, which produced a thick black smoke. Their Hail Mary effort to darken the skies probably saved their city. Nine. In the 1957 Ice Hockey World Championships, the USSR was the clear favorite. The Russians so expected to bring home the trophy that the Moscow Stadium had not prepared any other country's national anthem to play at the closing award ceremony. So when the Swedish team won by a single point, the players elected to sing a traditional Swedish drinking song into the PA system. The Swedes laughed and laughed as high-ranking Communist Party members were obliged to take off their hats and stand for the team's raucous rendition of the song Helen Gar, which roughly translates to Bottoms Up. Ten. Each and every Purple Heart medal awarded to U.S. service members to this day was created during the Second World War. There's still over a hundred thousand in stock. The U.S. government manufactured over 1.5 million Purple Hearts because of the expected casualties that would result from a ground invasion of mainland Japan. Eleven. In Lebanon, Ohio, in 1871, defense attorney Clement Vallandigham was trying to prove to a jury that his client was innocent of a shooting that had caused a barroom brawl. He contended that the victim of the shooting had accidentally shot himself with his own pistol while standing up from his chair. To demonstrate, Vallandigham recreated the scene with his own pistol, which he did not know was loaded. When he stood up, his clothes snagged on the trigger and the gun went off, startling the entire courtroom. Blood poured out of Vallandigham's abdomen and he died the next day. But with the now deceased defense attorney having proven his point beyond a shadow of a doubt, his client was acquitted of all charges. 12. In 1875, a massive fire broke out in a whiskey barrel warehouse in Dublin, Ireland. As temperatures rose, the barrels burst, adding more and more flammable liquid to the blaze. Thousands of gallons of whiskey flowed from the warehouse down the cobblestone streets nearby. 
Soon, a river of whiskey six inches deep was flowing down the streets. People ran outside to fill as many containers as they could. Cups, bowls, boots. Some even leaned down to drink straight from the street. In the end, the fire caused 13 fatalities. None from the fire. All from alcohol poisoning. Thirteen. Orville and Wilbur had always promised their father they would never fly together out of his fear of losing both of them in a crash. But they wanted to show their father their success. That all of the stress they had put him through, all of the failed businesses, all of the borrowed money, had been worth it. So in their makeshift airfield in the middle of nowhere, Ohio, the Wright brothers helped their 82-year-old father, Milton, onto their new aeroplane. Wilbur started the plane's engine by spinning the propeller, and Orville climbed into the cockpit alongside his father. As the primitive plane took off, Milton gripped his son's arm. Soon they were over 300 feet in the air. Milton, eyes wide, looked out at the horizon, then down at the ground. His fear turned to awe, and he began to clap and cheer. He looked down to the ground to see Wilbur, barely visible from this high up waving at them, and then to the cockpit to see Orville. Tears filled Milton's eyes and fogged up his goggles. It was his children who had achieved the miracle of human flight. Fourteen. The construction of the Hoover Dam on the Nevada-Arizona border was a marvel of modern engineering a monumental undertaking to try to make the desert bloom. Its construction spawned all sorts of myths, many of which are not true. The hard hat was not invented there. No corpses are eternally encased in the concrete of the dam. But there were casualties as it was built. 112 people died during its construction. The first was J.G. Tierney, who was swept away in a flood when scouting the dam's location along the Colorado River on December 20th 1922. The last was Patrick Tierney, an electrician who fell from one of the intake towers on December 20th, 1935. That's right, the first and last men to die in the construction of the Hoover Dam were father and son, who died on the same day, 13 years apart. 15. In 83 BCE, General Lucius Cornelius Sulla, in an act of norm-breaking political upheaval, led his legions into Rome and killed every single member of the political factions aligned against him. His forces massacred any senator, merchant, or general who had opposed him, placed their heads on pikes, and paraded them through the street. Towards the tail end of the massacre, Sulla's vengeance broadened and he killed any potential political threat. One person who was high on his threat list was an ambitious upstart from a smaller upper-class Roman family. Sulla ordered him to be killed, but many of his supporters urged against it. They said the young politician could be contained, could be controlled. In one of the most consequential decisions in history, Sulla reluctantly spared the life of the young Roman politician named Julius Caesar. 
Historium is written and produced by me, Jake Barton. Story editing by Thomas Harlander. If you're a fan of Historium, you can follow it on any social media. And if you want to support me and my work, the best place to do so is on Patreon. For just five bucks a month, you can listen to all of my bonus episodes, hours upon hours of content right now for just five bucks on Patreon. Stay safe out there. And as always, thanks for listening.